0: Returning to the Word of God and to Acts chapter 2 please, Acts chapter 2. I was thinking this morning that in all the years that I have been preaching I never was as sure that I have messages from God as I have in these Sunday mornings. I'm quite convinced beyond all measure that God has laid these messages soundly upon my heart and because of that I believe that there will be results following the preaching of his word. It's a wonderful thing, my friend, to know. And I'm uh, 38 years, is it, in, in the work of the Lord. It's a great thing to know when the Lord speaks to you and ministers to you and shows you and directs you In a certain path, there's nothing sweeter, there's nothing greater than to be in the will of God and to know it. And so we're at Acts chapter 2 this morning and we're uh, at the verse 12. Uh, You know the context here that the Holy Ghost fell upon the early Christians on the day of Pentecost, and he came with three symbols wind, wind that we could feel it, fire that we could see it, and tongues that we could hear it. Feeling, seeing, hearing was the manifestation of the power of the Holy Ghost on the day. Of Pentecost. And we're reading from verse 12 of chapter 2. And they were all amazed and were in doubts, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the leaven lifted up his voice and said unto him, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass, in the last days, now you note that phrase, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit and they shall prophesy or preach. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be Saved, and we'll end the reading there and we know the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word 53 days after our Lord Jesus Christ purchased the church with his own blood at Calvary he launched and birthed her the church with a heaven sent Holy Ghost, Pentecostal revival. That was the way the church was baptized and introduced into the world. And that was the way she was intended to go on, and that was the way she did go on for approximately 100 years, until men got their hands upon it and awful things happened. Every time over the century since that, whenever the zeal and the fire and the power in the church dips and wanes, when his people become cold and carnal, lukewarm and lethargic, he breathed, he would breathe and reignite and restore and revive the church again all over the world in different places at different times. Revival is the blowing of the breath of God on the embers that are almost dying out and fanning the flames again. And this is what's happening even this morning in many parts of the world. In Africa, in India, in China, many other places, there are outbursts of the Spirit of God where God is... Breathing and fanning the flames and reviving the church up from her deadness into life and into power. And if it were not for the breath of God over the centuries of the history of the church, she would be dead. She would be extinct. She would be obsolete. The revival is the means God has of keeping the church alive. And if we were to count the revivals of the 20th century alone in our nation, we would be surprised at the many revivals and the many times God moved and breathed and revitalized and revived the church again into power. Now the reason that I am taking up these subjects these Sunday mornings is because I see no future. I see no prospect, no hope for the church in these islands in which we live unless the Lord God Almighty breathes once more upon us. And whatever years or days or months I have left, it will not be spent in evangelism. I have had my day of that. It will not be spent in pastoring either. Whatever years and days and months I have left, it will be praying and crying and calling on to God that he might revive us again and that he might do what he has done in days gone by. As someone said to me not so long ago that the church in Ulster and in our nation is in intensive care. Being drip-fed from meeting to meeting, with oxygen mass upon us and fighting for survival. Friend, if your child was in intensive care, and if your child was fighting for revival, you would be desperate and you would be crying and you would be praying and you would be asking others to do the same. And if you don't see, if we don't see this morning, and I know that these messages are going out to a larger congregation But if we don't see this morning, if we don't see this need this morning, if we think that everything's well and because we go to church and give a few pounds, if we think everything's well and we don't see any need for anything more than what we have, then there's something terribly wrong with us. If we don't see the church in need this morning, if we don't see a cross, we sang in a hymn there and it wasn't truth that we're singing today, here we're not divided and all the rest of it. My friend, we're divided. And we need we need this morning to realize, and my reason I believe that God wants me to preach these messages is that some, not many probably, it never has been, but one or two or three or four will rise to the occasion and see we need something more and we need God to move. The hour has come when pastors and ministers and evangelists and churches would wake up to the fact, needs to wake up to the fact that uh, missions, good and all as they are, and we need to evangelize, and I do evangelize, and I will preach the gospel, but it's not my main trust because I don't see it the main problem. We can have missions, we can have meetings, we can have tracks, and we can have tea parties, but they'll not rescue the church from the quagmire that we're in. We've we have sunk into such a terrible state. We can nail all the texts we like to the trees and we can stuff tracks into people's pockets. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the time has come for a desperate action from people in the church of God that we may cry down a Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival. The time has come for ministers and I'm speaking to ministers of the gospel this morning and preachers. The time has come to fast. The time has come to pray. The time has come to get into the sackcloth and ashes between the porch and the altar and cry out like Habakkuk of old, O Lord, revive thy people in the midst of the years and in wrath remember mercy. I, I believe I am convinced And a lot of people will not agree with me. But I am convinced we need to do what Stephen Alford did when he took charge of that church in New York some years ago. He shut every meeting down. He closed every meeting but the prayer meeting. Every meeting, the morning meeting, the Lord's table the Sunday school, the the gospel meeting, he closed everything down and turned every one of them meetings into a prayer meeting and they prayed and they cried until God broke through and revival came. Over the past number of years, Vauxhall car manufacturers, Chrysler, BMW, have all called in... uh, there are models on their motors because of some electrical fault or some braking system. They stopped manufacturing and recalled thousands of cars back from their owners back in. And I think that we have come to the stage when we need to look at the problem. We need to look at the situation. See, see, we seem to just go on and on and on from day to day and year to year, seeing nothing much and expecting nothing. I don't care where you speak to people. I was speaking to a pastor the other day up the country. Nothing happening in his church. not soul, and thank God for the souls and thank God for the missions, and thank God for the evangel. But, my friend, there's little or nothing happening. And then they say, Oh, we're not to despise the day of small things. No, we're not. That's what the Word of God says. But we're not to ignore them either. Why should we, why should we settle for small, small things when we have a big God? Why can we settle for small things when we have a God who has told us that He will bless and He will revive if certain things and certain standards are met in the church? One of the main reasons and God has shown me this very clearly over the past year one of the main reasons that we are bankrupt spiritually in Northern Ireland is because of our treatment and attitude to the Holy Spirit. The so called fundamental wing of the Evangelical Church in Ulster has in my opinion quenched and grieved hindered resisted the Holy Spirit And worse than that, and friend, if you could, get worse than that. Now listen, worse than that, we have vexed the Holy Spirit. Listen to Isaiah in the 64th chapter. They rebelled and vexed the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and to fight against them. Can you imagine the blessed, gentle dove of the Holy Spirit because that's one of the emblematics of the Holy Spirit, the dove. Can you imagine the blessed dove of the Holy Spirit? It's bad enough to chase him away. It's bad enough to shoo him away. And we shoo him away from our lives, and we shoo him away from our church. That's bad enough, my friend. And sin shooes him away. And if we shoo him away from our church and from, from our individual life, that's one thing. But for him to come back and fight... The blessed Holy Spirit that brooded the, the first, the second verse you read in Genesis, He brooded, brooded over the cosmos. That word brood is, uh, uh, that, 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 that's the word brood. It's not the word used, but He, He moved and brooded over the cosmos, over destruction, over darkness, over death, over form and void. He brooded, look, like a mother hen broods over her chickens. we asked him. And as he brooded, life came. And when our Lord Jesus Christ came up out of the, out of the, out of the Jordan River, and uh, he he descended from heaven like a dove and lit upon him. And we chase him away. And we quench him and we grieve him and we vex him and sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it. And I say to you this morning, It's one of the main reasons that we're not enjoying the blessing of the Lord. God the Father was rejected in the Old Testament. God the Son was rejected in the Gospels. And God the Spirit has been rejected in the church. Do you want me to say that again? God the Father was rejected by Israel in the Old Testament. God the Son was rejected by his people and put on an old rugged cross in the Gospels. And God the Spirit has been rejected in the church of Jesus Christ. Today, I tell you, in Ulster, and that's from God. Well, may we sing, and we do sometimes hear, Return, O holy ghost, ghost return, Sweet messenger of rest, I hate the sins that made thee mourn And drove thee from my breast. He will go where there's sin. He will not stay where there's sin. Now there are those that tell us That what happened on the day of Pentecost Will never happen again. The right in one sense and the wrong in another sense. You take heed now what I'm saying. The right in the fact that the event can never happen again. The word Pentecost is the word 50th, 50 days after the resurrection of our Christ, of our Lord Jesus. And that can never happen again. But what can happen again and what has happened again thousands of times, thousands of times is a movement even greater than that. In the 3rd of June 1988, I stood in the pulpit up there for the first time at this corner. I'll never repeat that again. I can never repeat that first time again. But I have done it thousands and hundreds and hundreds of times since and many times with greater effect. And this can never be repeated again, but it has been, it has been repeated again time and time and time again. And if you go through your history of revivals, my friend, you will see and you'll understand that God moved in mighty power and he's moving this morning in mighty power and he's doing, there's 5,000 souls saved all together on this series of Pentecost. My friend, there was a hundred thousand saved in Kales when he moved in 1859. And sadly because of tongues, and healings, and drama, and excitement, and vision, and dreams, one section of the evangelical church rejected out of hand. They dismiss it as fantasy, extremism, over the top, curtain climbers, whatever other word they dare to use and be very careful when you're using words like that. You see, when it doesn't fit into our mold and when it doesn't fit into our thinking or our preconceived ideas or our doctrines of how God works or how we expect God to work, if we can't understand it or can't explain it, we become afraid of it. And when we can't explain it or understand it, we criticize it. Let me say that you read your histories of revival. These heavenly invasions and interventions can never be explained or understood. And don't try to. Since Pentecost, revivals have been savagely attacked. Signs spoken against. Not by the world so much, but by cold, carnal Christians who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything here that I haven't said before. And I'm going to show you this morning what we need to do. And if you have any argument with this this morning, you must argue with the Word. And you must ask your heart, why is it that I reject the Holy Spirit? Why is it that I don't like preaching like this? Now, last week we looked at two of the things that emerge when a move of the Spirit of God is genuine. Remember, we looked at the man. And I, I've counted in the last day, days 50, 50 men over a period of years who were all men used to head, a, head revivals. And the man here we saw last week was Peter. We saw that he was a faulty man. We saw that he was a filled man. We saw that he was a faithful man and a fearless man. We didn't get it all done, but that's the man. And then we looked at the mockery. They said these men are drunk. They're full of wine. Now I want to speak in the time that I've left this morning. We're going to look at the message. We're going to look at the message that this man preached. And we must examine, my friend, everything that we say on the Word of God. Not our own notions. Not what we think about these things. It doesn't matter. What does the Word of God say? Not what a denomination says. Not what a pastor says. What does the Word of God say? We must weigh it against the Word of God. The very first thing that we need to consider before a messenger stands up forth to preach and to exhort and to rebuke and to reprove in revival. If a man stands up and he declares that he has a word from the living God, the first thing that you need to look into that man and that church that he's offended, what's the prayer life like? Because every genuine move of revival in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and church history can be traced back to prayer. Prayer is the common denominator that runs through them all in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and right through every revival, you will always find, There's many things that you'll not find, because all revivals different in many ways, but they never differ as far as prayer is concerned. This Holy Ghost power was released here in the upper room when hundred and twenty gathered together with one accord for ten days on the command of the Lord to pray. Now you get that into your head. This came from ten days of hundred and twenty men and women shut in in an upper room, obeying what God told them. He told them to wait and to pray. And listen, if we are no, if we, listen, if you and I this morning, if we, we have no longing, if we have no hunger, if we have no thirst and we have no desire for prayer, there'll be no shaking of the prison house. There'll be no shaking in Acts 4 when they prayed the place was shaken. It's not when they danced, it's not when they hugged, it's not when they clapped, it's not when they capered about, it was when they prayed. The prayed, the place was shaken. It was when the prayed that the tongues of fire fell and the wind came. It's not only a prayer, but he, listen, listen to what it says. It says in Acts 1 and 14 on the prayed and supplication. That word supplication means petitioning, pleading desperately. In fact, one translation of that says they were begging and binding. Listen, do you think, my friend, this morning, if you would have been down the bottom stairs, down at the bottom of the stairs of that upper room, do you not think, with hundred and twenty men and women crying unto God for ten days, do you not think, in desperate, intensive begging and binding the powers of hell, do you not think you'd have heard them? These people are desperate. They're desperate because the Lord has been taken up. They're desperate because the whole pharisaical Sanhedrin system is about to surround them and wipe them out. And so is the Romans. They're fighting for their very life. They're fighting for survival. There's only 120 of them in the midst of a hostile, wicked, evil generation and world. And if God doesn't move in that upper room, the whole thing's lost. They were there with fear. But they were there pleading and crying. On. Do you not think you'd have heard them? Do you not think they were desperate? Can you, can you compare them to our prayer meetings? A couple of years ago day, and some of us were up at a day of prayer up in Castle Wallen. Some people arranged maybe a day or two days of prayer. I don't know. And we all got our stuff and all headed up. And there was about 40 or 50 in a big room. And one man, i am not saying who he was, one man, and it's till his, till his favor, if I would say it, one man began to pray in the Spirit, and he began to intercede, and he began to cry and bind the powers of hell. And once he was praying over, one boy said, God's not deaf, you know. Well, let me tell you, we were home that evening was the whole thing closed down. We went for two days. We were home that evening. Prayer meeting was finished. When you hear boys talking like that, they know nothing about intercession, supplication. They know nothing of desperation. God's not dead, but the Word of God tells us time and time and time again lift up your voice and cry aloud and shout. These people were desperate. The Lord has just taken away the whole 71 of the Jewish Sanhedrin's about to destroy them and did try to put them in jail and everything after it, even. What would it have been like if there had been no power? What would it have been like if there had been no spirit? They supplicated. That's the same word used when Jacob was wrestling with the angel at Penai. Remember Jacob, he left his family. We, Joseph, and all the whole family left them to one side because Esau, his brother was coming. The last words Esau said to Jacob, when my father dies, I'll kill you. And he ran away down to Paddan Aram. He's back now, but he has a whole family with him. He has cattle and sheep and whole drives of stuff with him. Wives And he says, You stay here. Esau's coming in the morning. The word came that Esau was coming and he was coming to destroy all. And he says, You stay here and he went over the brook and he and to Panel and he cried unto to God all night and wrestled. And God remember God came down and touched him That word supplicating, he cried, he pleaded, he begged, he it, Lord, my family, Lord, my children, this man's coming. And I'll tell you in the morning, Esau was mellowed and subdued. And the battle was won. In the old schoolhouse in Kells, when they met in the 1859 revival, those men made a covenant. They said, we're going to pray for nothing but revival. Boys, if we could get a few meeting, pray for nothing, but revival. I was down in Enniskillen yesterday for the Fermanagh Revival prayer meeting yesterday morning, and I, I, it's an awful job to steer them boys away from praying for other things. And there are other things are needed, and they're necessary, but we need to focus on revival. Listen to what John Wesley wrote in his diary. Seventeen something. He and George Whitfield and a number of us gathered in Fetter's Lane. About three a.m. Is, uh, about three a.m. in the morning. With, with instant and intra, in, in, an intervening prayer, we prayed and we prevailed and we supplicated, and the power of God mightily fell upon us. And many cried out with joy, and many fell to the ground. Oh, I wonder what our reaction would be if that happened this morning. I wonder, would we just be as quick as we would say, that's the devil, that's the devil. Some of us might say, and I'm closing now, what's this to do with the message? Is everything. You see, when a man steps out of a prayer meeting filled with the Holy Ghost, And he takes the two-edged sword and he starts to flail it in power. Then you'll have, and you can read for yourself what happened, conviction, repentance, brokenness, baptism. 5,000 souls all followed. And it all came from the prayer meeting in the upper room and the first note you want to look for when you're looking for a genuine revival where's the prayer is it prayerful secondly in closing the scripture A scripture do you know that I read do you know how many times I, I counted there might be more that it talks about the word in Acts during this time of movement 40 times the word grew the word prevailed. The word continued. The word. This whole thing was steeped in the word of God. Look at verse sixteen of chapter two. Look at what it says. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see, he's way back in the Old Testament, Joel chapter two, and he's specific. Because he says word for word here. And then verses that you read on from that. What Joel said. Word for word out of Joel too. He's specific. He's not taken away or adding to the word. And so many translations have taken away and have added to the word. And we're not allowed to do that. There's judgment on us. Peter gave every word specifically as it came hundreds of years before that, from the mouth of Joel by the Holy Spirit. He was specific. Now read on, because it says in verse in verse, in verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, which come to pass in the last days, said God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Now notice the last days. He's accurate and he's specific. It's, it's the last days but then watch he goes on But watch what he goes on to say but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it's come to pass in the last days Said God I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams and on my servant and on my handmaids I will pour in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy or preach and then he comes in here with prophecy that hasn't even happened now listen this has never happened yet, but it's going to happen. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. That's the tribulation. The sun shall be turned into darkness. That hasn't happened yet. The moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. That's the day of God's wrath. So we're, de- we're dealing with prophecy here that hasn't even happened. First part of it has happened. In many places has happened. Would oh, to God it would happen in our land again. Accurately, specifically, prophetically, evangelically. Verse 21 says this. In verse 21 it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he goes on down to preach the gospel. Christ, the blood, the cross, the resurrection, whom God raised in verse 24, and he preaches the gospel. I tell you, this message on revival is steeped in the gospel. is steeped in the cross. is steeped in the blood. is steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. It's steeped in the words of David. It's steeped in the words of Moses. You go through it. You consider it. This was scriptural preaching. This was evangelical preaching. There's one thing that I suggest was the key to these ten days. And do you take this home with you this morning? And it's this. They pleaded the promises of God. Verse 17, look. Look. I will. Now you get your eye on that. We're finished now. Verse 7. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Verse 18. And on my servants and on my hand, I will pour. Look at verse. Look at at Look at verse 18. I will pour. Verse 18. And then there's another verse down somewhere. Verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise. The promise. The last words the Lord told them before he ascended was you wait and you tarry and you pray until the Holy Ghost comes and he'll come. And they believed that. That's my friend what kept them going. That's what held them together. That's what kept them pleading and praying and crying and maybe singing and maybe rejoicing. That was it. It was the Lord had promised it three times. I will, I will, I will. And I'm not very well educated, but I can tell you I understand when God says something that he means it. And when God tells me, when I read this work, He says, "I will pour waters on him that is thirsty. I will come down like the dew upon the moon grass." I don't put that away back in the. I put it like every other time. You say, you say to me, you quote in your prayer. Uh, he said, "I will never leave the orphan forsake. You believe that, do you? Why do you not believe these? Why do we not believe this? Why do we not believe that he will pour waters? How do we not believe that I will revive you again? Why do we not believe when he says, call unto me and I will answer thee? Why do we not believe that? Why do we not believe for revival? Well, I do. I do. And I do, and I pray, and I plead because I believe that it's the only hope for the church, in these last days, is something that will out Pentecost, Pentecost, and breathe upon us. And of all the records of the Old Testament, of all the records of the New Testament and Acts, of all the histories of all the revivals that went on, in our land and other lands, I have it and I hold on to it and I believe it and I quote it and I say, Lord, you've done it there, will you not do it again? Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. May God put that desire and longing in the hearts. And may we hold on until he comes and revives us again. Let us pray, please. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we don't dictate to you, Lord, what way to come or what way to move. All we know, Lord, is we need you. And we ask forgiveness, Lord, if we have quenched or grieved or hindered or vexed the Holy Spirit so that he has turned away from us. Lord, search your own lives personally. Search your home. Search your hearts. Search the church, Lord. Here we are. Search me, O God, me. Search me, my actions try, and let my life appear unto thine all-searching eye, the omniscient eye of God, and to me thy way make clear. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, the day that we got saved and we called unto you, came into our heart and into our life. And yet, Lord, you're resident but not president in so many of our lives. And you want to fill us, Lord, and you want to pour out your Spirit upon us if we let you. So Lord, we pray that you'll take what has been of thee this morning. Bless it to some soul or souls here or somewhere else. We ask it all in our Savior's name. Amen.